We're going to look at the book of Hosea for the fourth and last time this morning. Uh, Chapter 14 and the first two verses, Hosea and uh, the 14th chapter and verses 1 and 2. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Now Hosea has been taught that uh, sin doesn't only break God's law, but it breaks God's heart. And the consequences of sin have moved God not only to condemn sin, but to set up the whole plan of redemption and send his son as the savior and his spirit to apply his son's salvation to numerous men and women. Hosea then is taught this lesson of God's love for his disobedient people. And he's taught it in a very unusual means. The prophet Hosea, in the very opening words of this prophecy, is given a commission by God. It is time for you to get married, God says. But you are to marry a particular woman who will be unfaithful to you. Who, in fact, is going to be a serial adulteress. And so you will discover for yourself the pain of love that's rejected. Your marriage and the heartache that will be brought right into your own experience. You will see the mother of your children drifting further and further away from your home until she ends up as a common prostitute and she is sold in a slave market for debts that she's accumulated that she can't pay. And that was the commission that Hosea was uniquely given. And he did what God told him. He walked that road of loneliness and rejection and heartache In his own family, he experienced the alienation of his wife. And he came to discover the reasons for her long absence and her late nights. What everyone else knew already. But what his love for her made him refuse to believe when he caught some whispers and some knowing looks. And God explained it to him. I've determined that you should experience all this in order that you may feel the depths, in the depths of your heart, the pain of betrayed love, the pain of unfaithfulness. And you will then get a glimpse of what I've experienced in all these last years, in Israel's departure from me, and they're whoring after other gods. And there is no preacher who has entered into the hearts of his hearers the way Hosea was drawn like this into the heart of God. And then the Lord further says to him, now I'm going to tell you what we're going to do about your wife's unfaithfulness, what you've got to do about Goma, your wife. You've got to go down to the slave mart where you find she's up for sale. You bid for her and you purchase her and you love her again. He was not to bring her back and redeem her from such a self-destructive way of life in order to put her in the servants' quarters and for her to act as a skivvy 
for the rest of her life. He was to take her back as his wife. And Hosea might well cry out to God in anguish, but I've already done what you told me to do. I married an unfaithful wife. You made the grief of this marriage spectacularly clear to me. It's been a disaster for me and a disaster for her and a disaster for our three children. Isn't enough enough? But God was relentless and God said to Hosea, go and love her again. You're my servant. Learn of me. Learn of how I love a faithless people, Israel. And so God's persistent love in the teeth of all that you would have expected him to have responded to with wrath and righteous judgment. Um, God helped Hosea to love Gomer as God has loved us through some of the bad things we did in 2015 and some of our failures and the mistakes and the people that we've hurt in the past years of our lives. And we can do it because we are joined to the living God. And his love has been shed abroad in the hearts of every one of his people. And love always protects. And love always trusts. And love always hopes. And love always perseveres. Always, always. Paul tells the Corinthians, love never fails. So Hosea learns that he's in for the long haul as the spokesman of God to an indifferent, bored, defiant, recalcitrant people. And then he learns that he's not to become bitter with them and harsh and preach to them incessant messages on judgment and the law of God. He's to hang in with them and preach the whole counsel of God and discover that what God requires of him as the preacher pastor to this people, God will enable him to become. That it's not some hopeless ideal that he can admire, but that he can't possibly copy. Strength will be given to him to love the people the way God strongly loves Baal-worshipping Israel. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God is like that. And feeling the love of God and grasping it and being grasped by it will enable then church leaders and pastor preachers to love an indifferent people. Marrying Goma was teaching Hosea the way that he could heal Israel's backsliding. And then there's another thing that this prophecy teaches us. Israel was set out on a course of drifting away from God. They were in spiritual declension, decline. 
And what we learn here is to see the impact of this. But not as those who spectate the behavior of others out there. Fellow professors who've fallen away. But we learn from it the impact that our backsliding has on God. What is it doing to the heart of God when we become icy and hard and grumbling? And that is what Hosea is learning. And the grief and sorrow he himself experienced in those years was a reflection of the grief that God has when he sees sins and sinfulness in us. You think of the Lord Jesus. We read in the word Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you know me? Don't you know God? You've seen me. Well, how did Jesus react to defiant Jerusalem, where the temple and the means of grace were? He just didn't take comfort from the fact, well, God is sovereign, and so God ordains all these things. He hardens sinners, and he gives them up. He does that. But when Jesus saw the coldness and the hostility that they had to him, when he was preaching to them and saying, come to me and... uh, and drink, and out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And they listened, but they didn't come to him. Jesus wept over them. Jesus said he would long to protect them, stretch out his great protecting wings as a mother hen does when he sees the hawk flying nearby, And send out the alarm and the chicks come and are safe under her wings. And Jesus would have done that. And they would have been safe. But they rejected his invitations. And their hearts were not broken at how they had behaved and how they had failed to love God as they did. And the backsliding people of God in Jerusalem made the Lord Jesus, weep. And Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for the sake of my brothers. Had Hosea ever wept for Israel? Have I ever wept for Aberystwyth? How then is the backslider to respond? What now is Goma to do? She's living under the same roof and she's sharing the same bed. As her husband, Hosea, what does God require of her? Well, I want to look at uh, these last verses of the uh, last chapter of the book of Hosea, the 14th chapter, and see these words as they are directed to Gomer, and then as they are directed to Israel, and then as they are directed to me and to you. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and 
and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. So the first word of exhortation is return. And then you see it's repeated a little later. Uh, Take words with you and return to the Lord. And and in that word return is compressed then the whole story of uh, Hosea and Gomer. That uh, she's been brought so low. But Hosea has gone for her and found her and brought her back. And she belongs to him legally. And she belongs to him geographically. They're under the same roof. But her husband's concern now is that she should return spiritually. That she should return to God. And we are told in these verses how this could be accomplished. But this isn't simply the story of one man's troubled marriage. It's the story of the people of God who've gone away from God and they've gone up the hills into the groves in the trees and they've built altars there and sort of totem poles like Ashtoreth poles and they've worshipped Baal there and they made sacrifices to Baal. And so that cry to Gomer is a cry now that Hosea preaches to the people. Return, he is saying. He hasn't given up on them. Please, you must return to the Lord your God. Come away from your love affairs with these other gods. Come, let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts. Return is the message of every prophet. That's the theme, isn't it, for the three great writing prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then it's the, uh, the plea of Daniel and the twelve uh, minor prophets there. It's the message of John the Baptist when he came and prophecy had been silent for 400 years and then it's restored and John the Baptist is preaching to the people, the herald preparing the way for Jesus coming, making rough places smooth and valleys filled and mountains lowered so that people can come more easily to hear of Jesus. And then Jesus, he preaches, return, repent, he preaches to them. So the story of Hosea's marriage and the message it's a help to us, the vivid picture of a, an unfaithful wife. So bad. The archetypal picture of unfaithfulness. Uh, becoming a prostitute. Um, that brings our emotions. It shocks us. Could a, a, a woman married to a man of God behave in that way? And yet we know our parents, our first parents did didn't they? That's what Adam and Eve did. They bid it off and spat it out and did it their way as uh, Sinatra sings. Yeah, they did it their way. They didn't do it God's way. They heard the voice of God, then they heard another voice and it was a speaking serpent telling them that God was wrong. And they replaced the living creator with a speaking serpent. And that's the story of everyone. It's the story of everybody in Aberystwyth. It was my story. And it was your story once. But the Bible tells us God hasn't given up on us. God has determined things are going to change. Things are not hopelessly lost. We can be redeemed. And there is hope if we return to God. And God spells out how, how we can come to him through one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And God comes and God comes and he finds us when we're hiding behind bushes and when we've made a covering, a hopeless covering for ourselves. God comes and finds us. What are you doing here, Adam? He says, what are you doing? 
What are you doing now in 2016? What are you going to do with your life? Because, uh, you know, he's, he's come who crushes the head of the serpent, Jesus Christ, and he's come here this morning to, uh, to deal with you, to speak to you, to offer you himself as your way and your truth and your life. Um, you know it, or oh, it's not enough to know it. The devils know it, don't they? I could catechize the devil, and the devil would give me good orthodox answers. That's insufficient. Judas heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. Think of it. You think he'd, he'd follow Jesus to crucifixion instead of selling him to crucifixion. Yeah, he heard Jesus say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. And yet he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Not enough then to have orthodox preaching every week. Uh, you must do something. You must do something. Then simply hear and know. You must return to the Lord. You have to turn. I'm asking you that you turn over then, not a new leaf, but a new life. That you turn 180 degrees. You're going in the wrong direction. You really are. I'm telling you the truth. You are going in the wrong direction with your life. And you have to turn right around. You're going every day away from God. And you need to go to God, to Jesus Christ, every day. In the morning, Lord, help me now through the day. Uh, keep me from temptation today. Help me to be a good husband, a good wife. Help and bless my children. And do that because you're on a broad way with everyone. All your, all your friends, they're on that broad path and it leads to destruction. Jesus said there's a broad way. Many find it. But there's a narrow way and I'm saying you must return to the narrow way. It's a narrow way full of delight and lasting pleasure that narrow way so uh, let me explain how firstly firstly there's a wrong way to return to god and the wrong way to return to god is described for us in chapter 6 in the opening words of chapter 6 they're very familiar the words the wrong way in chapter 6 come let us return to the lord He's torn us in pieces. He will heal us. He's injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he'll revive us. The third day, he'll restore us that we may live in his presence. Let's acknowledge the Lord. Let's press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. That's it. You know those words, don't you? What's wrong with them? Well, it's a classic case of superficial and temporary change of heart. And such resolutions, they, they were made on uh, January the 1st, and today is January the 3rd, and people have broken those resolutions already. There's a well-known proverb that says the way, the path to hell is paved by good intentions. And we're only too familiar with the morning after regret with the passion and the drunkenness and the fights and the arguments of the night before, they are bad memories, and now we have mourning after regret for what we did. 
we've decided, oh, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. 2016 won't be like this. I'm going to make a resolution to be better boy, a better girl in 2016. And here's uh, an example of it. You notice the heading that the NIV gives to chapter 6 in the Bibles in front of you? Israel unrepentant. Unrepentant. And one of the great Scottish paraphrases uh, we sing in our grace hymns is based on this passage, isn't it? Come, let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return. Our God is faithful, nor will leave the desolate to mourn. You know, it's a lovely hymn, isn't it? But in the passage, Israel is actually saying, God, you've gone away, but we want you to come back. We realize now, well, it's hopeless to live without God. Uh, a funeral service without God is a bit of a cold affair. We, we'll need you. Uh, when a baby's born, we want to say, oh, thank, thank you so much for this extraordinary new life that you've given us. We're desolate without you. We need you back. So we'll go to God. There's a lilt in, uh, in Hosea 6. There's a lilt, isn't it? It's like the music Handel wrote to um, All We Like Sheep. All We Like Sheep. Have gone astray. We have turned. And so on. The choir are all sort of uh, dancing like uh, sheep in a cartoon. They're all kicking their legs up. And all we like sheep have gone astray. They're saying. There's a jig about it. Nothing serious about it. Nothing grievous. And it is here. He says, God has torn us in pieces. But he'll heal us. He's injured us, but he'll bind up our wounds. Just two days, and we'll be revived. Three days, and he will restore us. We will live again in his presence. So let's acknowledge him. He will come. He will come like winter rains. Or if they are light rains, they'll be the spring rains. One way or another, then, we will be irrigated and refreshed and fruitful all over again. It's easy. And then God responds. And he says something that shows that this is a superficial repentance. You notice in chapter 6 how God responds to that prayer of false repentance. He says, what can I do with you, O Ephraim? Your love, what can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. You know what morning mist is. You've had a camping holiday. You've been in a tent or you've been in a caravan and you've got up early. glad to see the new day and you've gone down the steps and you're in the grass. And oh, your feet are wet straight away. And all around you, the, the, the grass is wet with the morning dew. And you've quite liked it. But by 11 o'clock, the sun has been shining and the grass is already wilting because it doesn't last long, the morning dew. And that's what superficial repentance is like. Um, vain regrets for an hour or two. New Year resolutions about the debacle of the drunkenness on New Year's night. And then it quickly disappears. And when the boys phone and they say, come, come down to the pub... Down you go, and you're just as bad the next day as you were before. A cheap sort of repentance. You know, um, just a little talk with Jesus makes it right, all right. 
well, maybe there's a, a little time as you're driving along and you say a little word, Lord be with me, and that's okay. But there are many more occasions when more is needed than a little talk. When Peter denied the Lord with oaths, then a broken heart was needed. He needed to go out and weep bitterly for the awful things that he said in his denial of his saviour. I was talking to uh, a man this past year, and then he blurted out that he had committed adultery with someone the previous day. Excuse me, he said to me, and, and he put his hands together like this, and he kneeled over the table, and he said, Lord, I'm sorry for what happened. Amen. Now, he said, it's all right. And he said it just like that. No, it's all right. It was a confession in words, but not in reality. There was no sense of shame for what he'd done. And here in these words of Hosea, there's a sense of loss, but there's no sense of guilt. There's a sense of hurt, but there's no sense of sin. It's so different from Psalm 51, isn't it? When David heard Nathan, he didn't say, I'm sorry, Lord, and, and that's all right. He said, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You're just when you condemn me, when you judge me for what I did, what awful things I did. There's nothing in Hosea 6 that shows that Israel has, has been gripped by a spirit of repentance. That it's conscious that it's broken the heart of God by its whoring after the idols on the mountains and worshipping Baal. Here was unrepentant Israel who said the right things because they had the scriptures and the covenants and the promises and the prophets. They were dealing with God in terms of mechanical mercy rather than from a broken heart. As though, well, it's God's job to forgive you know how evangelical in their earnestness can, uh, can bring pressure to bear on people to, uh, to become Christians, uh, to have an assurance of salvation. They interrogate the person they are talking to and they say, what does God say to those who confess their sins? But you'll forgive them. So you have repeated these words of confession, haven't you? So what has God done to your sins? He's forgiven them. And so the evangelist says, so now you're a Christian. The person has said the words, but have they come under the power of those words over their heart to live with a spirit of repentance for how they have sinned against God for so long and so horribly. And that takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Not me. And not you in your desire and your longing to see people turn from sin and believe in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, true confession is um, coming to God and agreeing with God's verdict about our sins. Is nodding your head and saying amen when God passes judgment on it. It's feeling about our sins what God feels about our sins, that's what a confession of sin is. Like the publican in the temple. 
You know, he felt as bad about his sins as God did. He hung his head. He just looked into the dust. He beat his breast. He said, oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus said he was justified. God pardoned him. God forgave him. Now, the people hearing Hosea, they had faced their woundedness, but they had not faced their waywardness. They knew that their life had difficulties, that Assyria was threatening them, but they did not know their guilt. They were taking God for granted. And that's why um, the paraphrase of, uh, of Hosea 6 that we love to sing has been changed. And notes of repentance have been added to it to make it then viable for a new covenant congregation that uh, isn't present in Hosea 6. You know how we sing it? Come let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return. Now those words are not in your Bible, are they? But those words are essential. If we're going to return to the Lord, then we've got to return, not mechanically. But we've got to turn a heart that's sorry. Are you familiar with it? Do you know something of gospel repentance for your sin? Um, it's much more than a new resolution to be more religious in, in the year ahead of it. Secondly, I want to say there's a right way to return to God. And the right way is the passage that I read to you at the beginning. I read to you halfway through and I'm going to read to you again. Chapter 14. The right way to return to God. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And Gomer must pray that. She must pray it until she knows God has heard her prayer. And Israel must pray that prayer. Because that's how every true returning sinner prays. That's how the prodigal son returned. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. You return in a spirit of penitence to God. And there is this deliberate contrast in the book of Hosea between chapter 6 and chapter 14. In other words, when the grace of God starts to touch you, when it homes in on you, when, when grace starts to, to put its finger on things in your life that are wrong, and when it starts to rub your conscience, and you know that merely coming on a Sunday... And listening to me saying true things is, is, is not the way ahead. There is something deeper than, uh, oh, he's torn us in pieces, but he will heal us. He's injured us, but he'll bind up our wounds. After two days, he'll revive us. And the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. And then get on with your life, living in 2016, just as you lived in 2015. There has to be real Heart dealings with God. A broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise, we're told. But superficial repentance, God despises. Okay, four things he says here. Firstly, take words with you. Verse 2. Not enough to take feelings with you. 
Not enough to take resolutions about uh, you messed up and you want things to be different. Words you've got to take. Uh, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, they took feelings with them by the bucketful, didn't they? Tons of faith in their God. None of it was good enough. Not enough to take goose pimples to God. And electric currents running up and down your spine. Not enough to take the hairs on the back of your neck standing on end. You've got to take words. Because words have meaning. Words are specific. They are definable. And you have to take those words with you. Words about your life. What you have done. And what you have failed to do. And you have to talk things over in the presence of the Lord. You know, when a wife catches her husband cheating on her. And he tries to hug her and uh, put his finger over her lips and to quieten her. And says he doesn't want to hear anything more about it. Let's forget it now. It's in the past. She says to him, we've got to talk. Good for her. Good for her. You've got to talk. When things are wrong between ourselves and God, it's not simply a breach of the law so that you pay a fine. There's a broken relationship between you and God. There was a broken relationship in Hosea's home. And it needed to be mended. Words had to be used. It's a family full of tension. And the reasons for it are big time. There's a spouse who's been betrayed who needs to be reconciled. Take words. Speak humbly and softly with a broken heart. You have to open up and say what is in your heart. Your regrets, your confession, your sorrow, your determination now to get counsel and help. And you're not going to do it again. Hosea is saying, if you want to come to God in the right way, come to God with words. Speak to God by yourself about your life. Confess to God. Ask for help. And then you're given a script by God. He doesn't leave it to your imagination. Something you can run with. Well, what is the script? Secondly, here's the script. Seek forgiveness for your sins. Verse 2. You come to God and you confess your sins to God. You spell them out. Sometimes that's the, when he says he's the most wonderful counselor, that's the best counseling you can get. You don't need to come and confess your sins to me. But you do need to go and confess your sins to God. To tell God what you've done. You have got need to spell them out. To God. Just to God. Tell God how it's been. And that you're sorry that it's been as it is. Every kind of sin. Sins of word and thought. Not just the big sin now that triggered it all off. But all the uh, accompanying uh, ancillary sins that we are guilty of. That you've never confessed. It's, it's time for major confession of your sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the next step that God is giving to you to do. Go down the list. Go down the Ten Commandments. Tell God you're guilty. And that's why he's a distant God. That's why you don't know God. 
Your family, your friends, they may know God, but you don't know God because you never talk to God because God says, start here. Okay? Say, I'm sorry, Lord. Sorry that I've lived as I have. A relationship that is never honest and open is not a strong relationship. And I want your relationship with God to be a strong relationship. And I want you to tell God about your sins. And then thirdly, appeal to the grace of God. Where do I find that? Verse 2, it's there. Grace is there in verse 2. Receive us graciously. In other words, and then don't say, you again. Don't, Don't say that to me. Well, what a surprise. What a stranger. You've come to talk to me. No, God isn't like that. Receive us graciously, he says. And that has to be Gomer's prayer. And the prayer of every one of us. We, we don't look back to times when we were young and we were parts of a Christian union at the university, and they were so keen, and life has never been the same since then, and my life has not been the same. And We don't look back at apparent golden times. We look now. Me and God. And I'm confessing my sins, and I'm saying, ah, oh, be gracious. Be gracious to me, Lord. I don't deserve such a loving Heavenly Father to talk to about my sins. And that's what a Christian learns. A Christian learns, I am what I am. And I will be what I will be by the grace of God. My life is all of grace. And uh, that appeal is very powerful when you say, be gracious to me. Because God is a gracious God. God delights in being gracious. He loves to, to... Meet a broken and a contrite spirit. There's joy in heaven when God sees a broken and a contrite spirit saying, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry I've let you down. I'm sorry it's been so bad. And fourthly, bring to God the fruit of your lips. Verse 2. When Gomer was dating, when she was uh, standing on the street corner and... uh, giving the glad eye to men. And then she went out for a drink with them and all that followed. She didn't talk to them about Hosea, her husband. She didn't talk to them about the living God. She gave them the fruit of her lips. But now she's to bring to God the fruit of her lips. Now she's to speak lovingly and thankfully and sweetly. She's to smile at God as he smiles at her. And she's to speak and she says, Lord Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, ever I love thee. Lord Jesus, tis now the fruit of her lips she gives to God. And it's very interesting how that vital phrase is taken up by the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. You know that in chapter 13, where he says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually 
offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And that's how the Christian does. The Christian speaks of Jesus um, on the pillow with his wife. He speaks with the husband. They speak of Jesus and his great love. At the table uh, around the meal, at the end of the years, they look back and thank God for the mercies that they've had. And they say, Jesus has been so great to us. What would we have done without Jesus Christ? The fruit of our lips we give to him. So, uh, the dearest idols that we've known, whatever that idol be, help us to tear it from the throne and worship only thee. And then, lastly then, just finished, uh, we have God's response to returning sinners. What God does when Goma, this uh, wretched wife that's been sought and bought and brought back to her husband again and turned in repentance to go, what's her future? Well, you know where the people in Aberystwyth, you know if you told them you'd become, you'd started to attend Alfred Place and you started to follow the Lord. You know how people in your friends would think, oh my, that lovely technicolor life that he lived, it's now becoming monochrome. What a grey religious life. What a boring moralistic life he's going to live from now on, they say. A religion. A no fun life. That's how the world sees it. That's what the devil is saying. That's what the devil is saying to you now. It's propaganda from the pit. But the reality is here in, in chapter 14. And it's the very opposite. It's a life of Solid joy and lasting treasures of delights. Uh, joys new in the morning, thankfulness at the end of, of every day. A barren life becomes a fertile life. Verse 5, I will be like the dew in Israel. A colorless life then, a barren life becomes a productive life. A fresh life. Um, it's fragrant with flowers. He will blossom like a lily. Verse 4, he will be, have a stable life like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots His young shoots will grow so you can see what strength there is. What a strong man he is. Not a hard man, not a cold man, but a man who is uh, strong against temptation and strong in supporting the weak and the needy and strong in his love for his family and and his children. He is God responding. There's the weakest evidences of grace uh, in Goma. Just the beginning of a new life. Just a, a little shoot. A year, a little shoot. Yes, there's a little shoot here. He's not dead now. There's new life in him. And uh, God nourishes and cherishes and encourages the weakest forms of, of life. It's a picture of every gospel church. Where Jesus Christ is the apple amongst the trees, and there's love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self control. It's there, gentleness, goodness, it's there. Oh, what wonderful fruit, what fragrance coming into a beautiful apple field, and the wind is blowing through the blossoms and all the trees, and soon there'll be fruit. And that's a picture of the church, isn't it? People turning and taking God. Putting their roots into God. 
Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge the Lord. That's the beginning of Christianity. And it's the end of Christianity. It's the Alpha and it's the Omega. It's the A, it's the Z. Um, Come now, let's return to the Lord. Let's return today to the Lord. Let's return tomorrow. Every day we we return to the Lord our God. Uh, We do it every day. We take refuge in him. Uh, We gomers came to God ashamed of our lives and God didn't wrap us up into a ball and throw us into the pit. And God nourished us and cherished us and we grew and we've changed. We've become useful members of a, a church, a beloved member of our family. God in his mercy took us back again. You've been listening to God's word today about a person who's been bad coming back to God and God's welcome and God's return and how to do it. Take words with you. Confess your sins to God. Return to God. That's, that's, what, you've been, that's what you've been hearing. God has said it. There's nothing in God that needs to be improved. There's nothing that God does wrong that needs to be adjusted or fine-tuned by any of us. He's constant. The only constant you can guarantee for 2016 is God. That he'll be with you, that he'll keep you through every day of the year to come. When the news is bad, he'll be with you. When the news is wonderful, then you'll have someone to turn to in, in thankfulness. The God who restored Goma is with us today. The God who has restored Mary Magdalene is with us today. The God who restored, restored the old sinner, the slave trader, John Newton, he's, he's with us. He's the same. A gracious God. A God who rejoices in the weakest evidences of new life and new yearning. And he can be your God. Lord, bless your word now to us, we pray, and uh, thank you for the message you've given to us, that you are a God who receives people like Goma. And thank you, Lord, for receiving us. Maybe there are some here worse than Goma in what they've done. Maybe I'm worse than Goma. And yet you are greater in mercy and grace than the sum of all our sins. Thank you. Thank you. Who is a pardoning God like you? Thank you for what we've discovered you to be. Accept us now and bless us this year ahead in Jesus' name. Amen.